Well, we are in a message series called Genesis. It's Roots, Relationship, and Redemption. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 24. So if you would turn there, we're going to read out of Genesis 24 and the story of Isaac and Rebekah. And uh, I just want to remind you guys that uh, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, that when we read it, it, it changes us, that when we start to put into practice the word and the truth of God, it alters our lives uh, and it gives us um, the power of God within us. So I just want to encourage you guys, for me this week, as I was reading Genesis 24 and immersed in the word, um, I found myself last night kind of feeling down and a, and a little, you know, just sad about some things. And I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And I remember I was praying, I was, you know, on my knees uh, late last night, and I was asking the Lord, what's going on? And I begin, think he began to reveal to me the truth of how I am leading my family. Because today in this passage, we're going to see how Abraham led his family in a godly way. And when we are in the scriptures, it is so convicting. So I hope that as you read scripture, God is illuminating the things in your life that he needs to be teaching us and growing us. And as last night, I felt such humility. I was such, I felt like, and it wasn't the kind of humility where I was patting myself on the back saying, boy, I'm glad I feel this. Uh, there was things where I went, I have not led my family well. There's things I've said and the things I do have not led well, but thanks be to God's word. He has shown me ways that I can grow to lead my family. So let's look at see what God has to say about how we can lead our families well. And let's look in Genesis chapter four, starting with verse one. And it says this, now Abraham was old, well in advance in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand underneath the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning his matters. The servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down, be, down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by a spring of water and the daughters of men of this city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance and a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. 
Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand to give him a drink. And she had, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. She quickly emptied her jar into the throw and she ran to the well to draw water and she drew water for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Well, praise be to God for his word. Let's offer a word of prayer um, as God leads us through this Genesis 24. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is indeed living and active. We thank you that it penetrates our heart and our soul, even splitting the joint and the marrow. Nothing is laid Nothing is laid unbare before you see everything, you know everything. Lord, may this word illuminate us. May we be changed because of it. May the word be written on the tablets of our heart. And Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters in Ghana as they have safety landed. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, for their safe arrival. Continue to bless them with safety from illness and disease. And may they be blessed with many people coming to health physically and spiritually. And Lord, we thank you for the great work that was done here. Continue to move in those 79 children's life that they one day and they continue to know that they are beloved children and they would be used greatly as men and women in the kingdom of you. We thank you for all that you're doing. We pray these things in your precious name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, when we began this study, we started out at the beginning of Genesis and in Genesis 3, we saw the first institution that God established was not the church. He didn't build the church, but the first institution he established was marriage. Adam and Eve and the family. And we all know that marriage has been under attack by different groups uh, and want to minimize, the, minimize marriage by mocking it and devaluing it. And really the institution marriage is under threat today. But I believe that sometimes the most destructive threat to family is from within our own four walls, within our very own families, that some of the most destructive things happen within our, the walls of our house. Um, we have neighbors that live across the street and uh, they've just recently gone through a divorce and um, uh, the dad is no longer living in the home and uh, there's three kids living there, the youngest one being four years old. And uh, anytime uh, I come outside, open the garage door, open a door, put my hand out the door, this little boy runs to the end of the street, Sophia, Sophia, it doesn't matter if it's me, my wife, he's calling for my older daughter. Can I come over and play? And um, in the evenings now, the kids come over and we play. And I remember one specific evening, I was in the backyard and I was spinning them around. And we were wrestling, playing tag. And, you know, almost being 36 years old, I said, okay, guys, I need a break. So I sat down on the edge of the break and I was like, go play. And um, the little boy walked up on the deck and he walked on over there and he came and sat on my lap. And he sat there for just about five minutes. And I thought it was such a precious time because if you guys remember, back in the spring, we did a series called Lifehouses. And the Lifehouse idea is that we were going to be missionaries to the eight closest neighbors that we have around us. And the idea was that where God has put us in the neighborhoods, we are to be missionaries. Where God has placed us in a work, we are to be missionaries spreading the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm not intending to replace this little boy's dad or become his dad, but I think for that hour or however much time I have with him, that I can begin to instill godly character in him, that I can give him the attention that he is starving for, because he plays outside so much alone by himself. The mom's a good mom. She does her best. She has three kids. She works full time, but this little boy is spending so much time alone, and I think it's awesome that I can give him this time and attention. You see, um, 
God never intended for when we take wedding vows for them to end in divorce, right? But so many times we see destruction happen within families when divorce happens. We also see destruction happen when there's alcohol brought into the homes, when alcoholism. I've counseled many people who said, I knew when the lights hit the driveway that my dad was drunk and we knew where to go hide and mom knew how to protect us. Mom knew how to get in the way of dad coming after us. And we would hide and, and my mom would take the swearing and she would take the brunt of the abuse. Same thing with drugs. We also see kids get neglected. We also see kids who need time and attention, but parents are too busy and, and, and they, they want to play with somebody and there's just not enough time. You see, some of the most destructive things happen from within the home. And last week, Chad talked about how uh, we can stay focused on God's plans and promises that God does have plans and promises for our lives. But there are times in our walk with Christ, remember he had the umbrella, that we step outside God's plans and promises and do our own thing. But what I love about Abraham in this story and Isaac is that no matter how much he blew it, he always came back underneath the umbrella. He always strived to serve God. And as today, as we look at Genesis 24, I've entitled this message, Family Matters, how leading God's way within a family can keep the family unit from experiencing the destruction from within. And I just want to confess, there are many things that I fall short on in doing this. And I'm so convicted by this passage uh, that I think we all have something to learn from, but it's never too late uh, when Jesus Christ is on the scene here. I just want to give you guys a little bit of background and you guys know some of this. Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. Sarah lived to be about 127 years old, which makes about Isaac about 37 years old when his mother died. And Isaac was about 40 years old when he finally married Rebecca here. And that's going to play a role here in how we see the family working together um, and why Isaac was so old when he got married. Well, there's five things that I want to talk about of God, how we can lead our family in godly ways. And then the first one is, is families need to pay attention to relationships. Many eyes help see clearly. Now, Abraham was old and well advanced in the years and had been blessed in anything. Now, the idea of had is Abraham has experienced blessing. He knows blessing. He knows God's promise is true and faithful. Abraham been given riches. He's been given the land in Canaanite, and he knows the Lord has blessed them. But now he's old and frail. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest is the household who's in charge of all that he had. Put your hand underneath my thigh. Now, for me, when I say the Bible is living and active, my mind has this little pop-up window that sees this kind of old, crusty guy laying in a bed, and he kind of flips over the cover and says, put your hand underneath my thigh. It's a little, it's a little, can we do a handshake or a fist bump or something? But in those days, putting the hand underneath the eye is, is swearing a serious oath. And Abraham is very serious about this. He says, uh, he, he wants to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the land of Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites were idol worshipers. They were of depraved mind. They were pretty much akin to Sodom, akin to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham at this time is worried that Isaac, his 37-ish year old son, may go and find a wife amongst one of these women. He's also emphatic about the issue that you are not to take him back to my home country. So if Isaac is struggling here with the loss of his mother, he's, he, he may be depressed, he may be sad, he may, he's saying, do not take him back there because he may find comfort back at home. And Isaac's like, we need to keep pushing forward. God has promised us this land and we're not going to go back and give up ground. So he's emphatic to his servant about you will not take him back there. 
You see, what I love about what Abraham and Eleazar are doing here um, is the idea that they have eyes on this relationship. There's eyes that are present here. And we know from Genesis 15 too that this may have been his servant Eleazar um, because this had to be an entrusted servant that was very close to him. And I would imagine this was the same servant that went on the mount with Isaac and, and Abraham when he went to go sacrifice them. Or, or maybe this was the same time where uh, he uh, rescued Lot from the four kings. This servant had to be trusted. And I think it's so vitally important that we in our families, whether you're a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, niece, nephew, uncles, and aunts, that we have eyes on the relationships which our family members are pursuing. You see, there's so many times when our, 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 the dating relationship begins to happen that the couple begins to pull away and isolate, right? They think to themselves, well, we just love spending all the time. We are so in love. This is so much fun. And they begin to pull away from friends and family. I think that could be one of the most dangerous things couples can do. I think it's most important that there is as many eyes as possible on this relationship. And leading a family, it is so important to have that. See, Eleazar wasn't focused first on beauty. He was focused first on does she love the Lord? So he had to return back to his homeland to find somebody who was in love with the Lord. You see, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16 says this, Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with, with Baal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? It is very clear. While we are to have friends that are unbelievers and we want to be uh, uh, witnessing to them and sharing the gospel with them, it is not okay to marry an unbeliever. God is very clear. We cannot have the same values if we marry somebody who is unequally yoked with us. And having family members with our eyes helping us, that means when you're son or daughter or your family member begins to date, begin to invite them out. Have dinners with them. Get to know the person. Does this young man or woman, does she know how to share a testimony? Does he know how to pray out loud? Is it more than just a superficial face saying, I'm going to love God because I'm, I want to love you? Like there's ways that we need to be watching this and be discerning whether this relationship is healthy or not. See, so many times parents either A, do nothing, they just are hands off, or B, they're so meddling that they are too involved and smother the kid. We need to be healthy in these relationships and we need to be having our eyes on these dating relationships and helping. I, Abraham was doing that. He was worried for Isaac. He knew he wanted him to marry a godly woman and he, he had his goal and what he needed to do. Uh, leading a godly family, number two, families pay attention to the well-being of its members. We need to have a safe and vulnerable environment. You see, Abraham's son Isaac was not yet married. And like I said before, I wonder if he was feeling a little depression. The last verse of uh, chapter 24 talks about when he finally marries Rebekah, he was comforted over his mother's death. You see, you know, he was looking out for their, he was looking out for his son, do we have an environment in our homes where we can breed comfort to share with what's going on in our home? Do we have an environment where you feel comfortable to say, hey, I'm not doing okay, I'm not well. I'm sad, I'm depressed, I've had thoughts of suicide, I, I thought I have, I've been cutting myself, um, I have a boyfriend and I don't know uh, what to do with him. Is there an environment where we breed vulnerability? And I think that only gets modeled well through mom and dad and older adults, how we are vulnerable, how we share with our children. You know, we have a generation being 35 and younger who is very sensitive, that wants to be able to gauge in relationship, that wants older people in their lives to help them. See, there's this misnomer out there that says, oh, those young people want nothing to do with us. That couldn't be farther from the truth. These young people need you in their lives 
to be able to help guide them and teach them. We need to be able to create those environments. You see, in all families, there's going to be conflict, right? Anybody not fight? <laughs> I fight with my wife, and I say dumb things and do dumb things. And, you know, there's lots of times I have to ask for forgiveness for the things I do. But there's no family that's not without conflict. And actually, conflict can be healthy. Conflict can uh, breed growth and maturity within the marriage relationship if you're both willing to engage in the conflict. You're going to have those times in your life. There's this, uh, the, the Coalition for Marriage, Family, and Couples Education say the number one predictor of divorce is habitual avoidance of conflict, right? Let's just not deal with it. You do your thing. I do my thing. Let's just not deal with the problem. That is not creating an environment that teaches our young ones how to fight well. That's fine. We have to learn how to fight well. We should be taught how to fight. We should make rules for fair fighting, right? How do we talk to each other when we fight? What do we say? What's out of bounds? And we should make up rules of how to fight. Because it's okay for, for kids to see mom and dad healthily work through conflict. It actually creates a safe environment for those to be able to share about themselves. But if they see mom and dad go to the corners, you stuff those things down. We don't talk about that. We're, we don't need, we don't cry. We don't deal with those things. You're going to have family members who don't want to deal with their own turmoil and conflict inside. The third way that, you know, we want to leave families in a godly way is families ask the Lord to go before them in prayer. We need to be obedient and God dependent. If we look at verse seven here, uh, in chapter 24, uh, Abraham here is praying a promise of God. He's saying, he's saying, to your offspring, I will give this land and he will send angels before you. This is a great picture of how to model prayer in your family. I think one of the hardest things to do within the family is pray together as a family, right? Because what? You're vulnerable, you have to be open, and it's hard work. It's a lot of work to gather the family, to hold your wife or husband's hand and pray together. It's not easy to do, but God says that it is necessary for us to be guided by God in prayer. He's, he, Abraham here is relying on the promise of God, and he knows that the angel will go before him. So they know they can trust God's decision. Whether the decision is yes or no, they're trusting that God has gone before them in their guidance. In verse 12, he goes on and he said, O Lord, God of my master, this is the servant speaking, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. So we see Abraham claiming the promise. We see the servant saying, okay, I'm, I'm letting it go. You show me success. And success could either look like you answering yes or no, but I'm going to allow your will to be done. So we see the servant here opening up his hands and letting it happen. And then in verse 14, we see him praying here again. Okay, if this is the woman, let her say, come drink and let her be the one, drink the water. And we see here again that he's looking for confirmation. And I think it's so important here that we realize that if, he, if it's a no, he needs to be obedient to the Lord. And if it's a yes, we can see that this servant continues to conf, make confirmation that this is the Lord indeed. So we see in 12, he asks the Lord for the prayer to show him. In verse 26, he worshiped the Lord and praised the Lord after his answer. So after Rebecca says, yes, this is, it says uh, you have your drink and have your camels drink, he worships the Lord there because prayer has been answered. And then later in 52, he bows down again to the earth and praises God when he's finally able to take Rebecca back. So we see a model for prayer. We're praying the word. We're praying God's promises. We're going to God with open hand, asking that he guide our steps. And along the way, we're looking for confirmation. Okay, that door's open. That door's open. That door's open. 
until the Lord has answered it. And if the door closes, we still can praise and worship the Lord because he has shown us clearly. So I want to challenge you guys. How are you guys doing modeling prayer in your family? Our families need to see how to seek the Lord for his, his will and how we can discern what he has for us in our lives. And we can celebrate it because whatever happens, we know that he makes our path straight. Well, the fourth area that I see that we can lead our families is families need to instill godly character into our loved ones. Verse 16 says, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known. See, uh, Eleazar was not just looking for a, a woman of beauty. He was looking at her character. And this woman was sexually pure. Um, within CVC alone, I have the opportunity in my job to do uh, pre-marriage counseling and marriage counseling, and I love doing it. And nine times out of 10, the couples that come into my office have um, already engaged in some kind of sexual activity and sin. And by the time they make it to their office, their relationship's in chaos. Well, it's no surprise that where sin is, it creates chaos and confusion. And chaos and confusion is happening in their relationship. They're fighting. They don't know what's happening. And so this vicious cycle continues. So they finally come and see us and say, we want to get married. Such a bad idea at that point. Because what we see is once they get married, they get into the relationship of marriage, the vigor of sex has worn off. And then they come and say, I don't even like that person. They've been so enthroned in the sexual fantasy that they didn't take the time to get to know each other. And then they go, I don't like you. I didn't know you did that. I didn't know you, I didn't, know you didn't believe in that. Because the sexual sin throws you into chaos. So when Eleazar was going out there, he was looking for a woman who was sexually pure. Now here is the cool and awesome thing about our Lord and Savior. If you're a person that has found themselves to be in that situation and saying, I've already fell, fell in that area of sin, and I don't know what to do. This is where Christ has died on the cross for our sin. This is where he gave us his one and only son that he was nailed to a cross and that his blood, his precious blood was shed. And three days later, he defeated the grave and was rose again. And whoever believes in him and confesses with the mouth can't have eternal life. And he remembers your sin no more. It's done, paid for. It's been paid for. So if you've been under that yoke of slavery, sin, your sin has been paid for. We no longer have to live as a slave and we are a new creation. We are a new person. We are living new. So we no longer have to live that way. But now the time is to live a holy life. You see, my family and I went to Broadview Heights for the home days. And I, don't, I like going to home days. I like doing that stuff. Uh, we like funnel cakes and the rides and all those sorts of things. And the other day when we were there, I was amazed to see 11, 12, 13-year-olds wearing tube tops, and shorts where their butts are hanging out of them. Now, this is not like 18, 20-year-olds. These are 11, eight, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-olds. And um, my Sophia, who's six years old, said, Dad, why are they all showing their bellies? I didn't know what to say to her at that point. But I want to say to those dads and those moms and family members of those girls, they are not looking at your character. These are little girls, and it's so disturbing to see older men checking these little girls out. Your little babies should not be dressing like that when they go to these home days. Listen, I did junior high ministry about five years, right? And these girls are smart. Here's what they do. They put on sweatshirts and sweatpants until you leave and drop them off, and they take that stuff off, and they have those clothes on underneath there. But listen, these little babies cannot be dressing. We got to be modest. We got to think about our purity. So if you're one of those dads out there, be thinking about those. If they come up with these little teensy-weensy shorts, don't let them go out of the house with them on. But also, too, I want to challenge you guys. That's not, well, you shouldn't wear those. I'm going to burn those and cut them up. I think it needs to be a relationship 
of understanding and vulnerability. Come here, baby, let me talk to you. This is why I want you to keep here. Because it's my hope and prayer that when my Sophia and Naomi and Estella get married, they walk down that aisle and they said, I made it, dad, I was pure. And in today's society, that's, that doesn't happen. But we need to fight for our little 79 children who've committed their life to Christ. So we need to be pure. We also need to instill kindness into our children. Look at the, what Rebecca did here. She stopped everything and was kind to this man, right? She said, I'm going to come help you out. I'll take care of you. What does it look like in your families? How are you guys speaking to each other? I'm terrible at this. If I'm frustrated and tired, my, my tongue can be really sharp. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has power of life and death. It has the power to build up and it has the power to tear down immediately. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. It is destructive or it can build up. What is coming out of your mouth between your four walls at your home? Is it destruction or is it life-giving? It's very difficult sometimes to think, well, a stranger, you could, you could be having this major blow, this major fight, somebody knocks on the door. Hi, how are you? <laughs> so good to see you. Can I get you a drink of water? It's like, it's unbelievable. Your children are watching this and this is something that has convicted me. How am I leaving a legacy for my kids and kindness to my others? Also too, we see Rebecca is, what a servant we have here. You know, she said she was finished yelling him drink and then she went to give his 10 camels water. Camels can drink up to 20 gallons of water, okay? She had one jar, 10 camels, they can drink up to their fill. She worked her butt off to make sure that these camels were well well, well taken care of. She worked hard. She was a servant. And that's something that we need to instill into our families, that we are to be servants of others. Christ came to serve, not to be served. Are we showing our children, like, if somebody needs help on the road or if somebody needs uh, a door open for them, am I instilling to my children how to help and serve or am I waiting to be served? It's the kind of thing, too, like, when you think about it, like, when you're just getting into bed at night and my wife Susan would say something, Dean, can you, can you give me a drink of water? Really? Can't you get your own water? Don't we have all those conversations? Are you going to take the trash out? Yeah, I'll take the trash out. Well, give me a minute, okay? We all have these conversations. But what does it look like to be a kind servant of those things? What does it look like for my girls to see, yes, honey, I'd love to help you out. I'd love to serve you. I want to challenge you guys. If you live in a household that is sarcastic, that doesn't speak words of life, try it for a week and let's see how it changes the dynamics of your relationships. I can almost guarantee there will be a change in how you guys relate by how you serve each other and how you take care of each other in kindness. Verses 22 for 49, I'm just going to summarize because of the length and the time. So here we have uh, Rebecca runs back and gets her dad, uh, Bethuel, and gets her brother Laban. They come running up and they see that she has gold things all over her and they hear the story. Eleazar begins to tell the story of what happened. He recounts the whole story to say, this is what my Lord, my God has done. Listen to what he did here. Listen to how he answered this prayer here. And now you're standing in front of me. Will you let me take your daughter back? And in verse 49, he says, now then, if you're going to show your steadfast love and faithfulness to my masters, tell me, if not, tell me, may I go and turn from the right or left? So right here, he's saying, tell me if I can do this. I need final confirmation that you'll let me take your daughter there. So here in verse 50, we see Laban and Bethuel answer and said, uh, the things that have come to us from the Lord, and we cannot speak good or bad about. So they're saying, obviously, this is from the Lord. We're following the Lord. You're following the Lord. We can't speak good or bad about this. This must be for the Lord. So they're saying, okay, you can have her, take her, go. 
and let her go to be with your master's son. And Abraham, servant, heard this, the words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and he prayed again. This is the third time here. In verse 53, and the servant brought out jewelry, gold and silver and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. Um, and he said to the men who were there to eat, to eat and drink, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, uh, he said to them, send me to my master. Her brother and mother said, let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least 10 days. And after that, she may go. Uh, but he said to them, don't delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. So they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And Rebecca says, yes, I will go. So they sent Rebecca and the sisters and nurse and Abraham and the servants went with his men. Could you imagine, this girl was probably a teenager. Could you imagine saying, you need to go? You need to go. It's time for you to go. See, the, our last and final point, point number five is families fight for each other. I think the world throws enough punches. Our families should not. We need to be raising our children to be sending them out. We need to be raising our children in homes where we're preparing them to face the world. So many times we want to hold on to these babies and not let them go. And, and Rick Imers always says this. He said, from the time they're born till they're 18 years old is 216 months. Meaning right now, my Sophia is six. I have 144 months left with her until she's considered an adult. And I need to be preparing her to go out into the world, not holding her back. I need to be equipping her for the world, how to have godly character, how to choose a man for her in her life. I need to be equipping her and our families need not to be holding us back, but pushing us forward and encouraging us. Verse 60, let's continue on. And they blessed Rebecca and her, our sisters, may you become thousands of 10,000. This is the prophecy that they will grow into many, many people and nations. And may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on a camel and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Now Isaac, this is, the, this is the second time we see Isaac. This is the first time we see Isaac since we saw him and Abraham going up the mount to be sacrificed. So we haven't heard from Isaac to this point until now again that he's out uh, in the field meditating. It says 62, now Isaac returned from Berleroi where he was dwelling in Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field that evening. That's a good thing. I, Isaac is out praying, asking the Lord to show him, to guide him. This is a good man here that is loving and following the Lord. And here is now the greatest love scene in all the Bible. And he lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes when she saw Isaac, and she dismounted the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. This is a cool transition here. This is the first time he says, Eleazar says, this is my master. This is the baton being passed from one generation to the next. And we see here that, um, so she took the veil and covered herself. This was just a sign of respect of her character. She wanted to cover herself in modesty and respect to Isaac. But we see the baton being passed here. Verse 66 to the end. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. I can imagine, Eleazar, you gotta listen to this, Isaac. You're not gonna believe what happened. I prayed this prayer and this happened and God has blessed us and now I've brought this wonderful girl to you. Listen to what the Lord has done. In 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a beautiful picture of the transition between generations, right? 
the passing of baton. We have a guy who is an older guy grieving his mother's death. Now has Rebecca coming in. He's able to move forward and move with confidence to continue to fulfill God's promises in the land of Canaanite. So what a beautiful picture. And I pray that we can too pass that baton off to our, our, our next generation well. Whether you're an aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, we are uh, responsible for passing the baton to the next generation. You see, to the end, we see uh, God is testing Abraham with the will of Isaac his whole life, right? And, and Abraham looks towards the next stage of the promise that God, so he needs to act with decision. You know, we don't know all the answers in our life. We go with open hands. But what we do know is that we can trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our understanding. In all of his ways, he will make our path straight. You see, that courageous obedience of individuals over these family matters can shape the future of all of our families. The truth to take home, leading God's way within a family takes clarity and urgency. It takes clarity Clarity, you might want to sit down today and talk with your family. What are we about? Who are we about? Who are we going to follow? And what is our mission? And we got a great reference in the Bible to say, this is how we are to live obedient. This is how we are to live our lives. So we are to go with clarity. We are going to serve Jesus Christ and we are to go with urgency. We are to go knowing that, that God is the one whom we need to follow with urgency. So today you may have come here not knowing Christ, and if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, there's a little box here that says how to commit your life to Christ. If you are somebody who's heard the word today and you believe in your heart and confess through that that he is Lord and Savior, we're asking that you just check that box there and, and let us know today that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Leading God's way within the family takes clarity and urgency. And I pray for you guys that there are some good conversations as you guys go throughout your week. Um, let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we acknowledge that uh, without your way and your guidance, we go nowhere, we know nothing. But Lord, we come and we trust you. We come with open hands. We seek you. We petition you. We ask that you make our path straight. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we can be obedient to you and your word. Lord, we thank you that we have fallen short as husbands and wives, as, as fathers, as 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 mothers, as grandma and grandpas, as aunts and uncles, if we've fallen short, we thank you, Lord, that redemption is near, that you redeem all things, that you forgive all things for those who ask and repent. Today, may today be the day of repentance, Lord, where we, our families are altered because you have changed us. You have opened up our eyes and the word has been illuminated to us that we may change the course of our family. Lord, we know that family matters to you. So help us, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. We need you in all things. And all God's people said, amen. amen.